0: Hello, and welcome to The Ringer NBA Show. It's The Answer. I am Chris Ryan, and on today's episode... Defense! Defense!
1: This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. Whether it's taking all your little ones to their sporting events, or everybody getting together and taking a ride to the beach, the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped for any adventure. With features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or... Standard third row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com.
2: This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy.
0: Hey everybody, thanks for listening to another episode of The Answer. I'm Chris Ryan. Today's guests are Raja Bell and Kevin O'Connor. And we're talking about one thing. The one thing that I couldn't get out of my mind watching hoops this week was defense. Uh, I think it was a huge factor in my appreciation for one of the games of the year, which was Clippers-Nets, which is a game I talked about with Raja a lot in the upcoming episode. Because I was fascinated by the fleeting moments that the Nets played defense hard defense against the Clippers and, and really made life tough for Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. And I was also fascinated by how the Clippers tried and nobly failed ultimately at defending the Nets. And defense is something that like, like I've been watching basketball for most of my life and I still don't know that I can necessarily explain it to anyone. I, I don't know that I understand or appreciate it. And it's been kind of like this thing that I really wanted out of this season was to develop a little bit more of an understanding about what's happening on that side of the ball. Like I can say form a fucking wall, Like Stan Van Gundy, I can scream ice like Tom Thibodeau, but I don't know necessarily that I appreciate it the way I should. You know, you watch a Rams game, you can find Aaron Donald on the field and you can decide, you can say, like, that guy did something game changing in this play. He bursted through an offensive line, he made sure the run didn't go anywhere. On defense, it's a little harder. You get these fleeting moments where you see a steal, you see a guy jump a lane, you see a guy pickpocket, you see a guy come off ball and do a weak side block and it's sick. But the little things that have to happen on any defensive possession to stop another team from scoring are almost impossible to observe the first time through. So it was only really rewatching that Nets-Clippers game and then really thinking about like what my eye is seeing, where my eye wants to go ball-watching. And and just wanting to get a better understanding of what's going on with defense. So this episode is essentially everything you wanted to know about defense, but were afraid to ask. Let's get into my conversation with Raja Bell. All right, now I'm joined by Raja Bell, ex-NBA player, now NBA pundit, and he's on our Real One show on the Ringer NBA show on on Mondays and Thursdays. It's an awesome podcast, him and Logan Murdoch. So check that out. Raja, what's up? Thanks for joining me, man. Chilling, man. Thanks for having me. So I'm still stuck on this Nets, uh, this Nets Clippers game from earlier in the week. Uh, I re- rewatched a big chunk of it last night. And as I'm watching it, I wanted to talk to you about what does effectively defending the Nets even look like?
1: Uh, yeah. I, the-
0: <laughs> have you started to try to wrap your head around that? Like uh, when you watch these guys?
1: I have. And it's, it's really, it's really really tough. Like I don't even know how you would, as a coach, start to really dissect how to game plan for them because so little of what they're doing is structured. You know, I think when they first came together, Steve had them run into some really quick action where, you know, James would come up, get off the ball strong side. Um, You know, ball would get reversed. He'd wind up on the opposite side. You get some sort of DHO on the opposite side. And that you can kind of game plan for because there's some real predictable movements in that. But now it's kind of just really free form. These guys are coming down. There may be a pick and roll. There may not be. And it's really mano-a-mano. I mean, so schematically, I don't know what you really do to defend them.
0: I noticed that too, like watching that, that Clippers game, I was like, I think I made a note that was like, this is the highest form of pickup basketball I've ever seen. Cause it felt like the, some of the, some of the offense felt like all-star gamey, you know, like where they were just like, Oh, and this guy's over here and I'm just going to like this pass, no one else can see to a guy who can make a shot. No one else can make.
1: Uh, yeah. And you're, and right. And you're doing like, it's the highest form of pickup, um, with three of the best players like yeah. right like you know what i mean like the highest form would be nba pickup and then you're putting the best of the best nba offensive players on a team it becomes really really difficult because i mean i could sit here and tell you like you know i'd never let kyrie come off of a pick and roll and switch uh, a theoretically lesser defender on him and let him just have him one on one but to take that away i have to commit resources that are allocated in other places defensively and on on some teams, the ball finds a guy who's not capable of of carrying his own weight offensively that's not the there there are multiple guys on this team that are going to kill you so like lessening the strength of your defense to stop Kyrie is just making it even more um of an issue for Kevin Durant offensively. You know what I mean like you're putting out fires to create yeah. bigger fires with your defense
0: i think i, I you always used to hear that that chest note where it's like, we're just, these guys are going to get theirs. We're just not going to let X, Y, and Z role player beat us, right? Like, so that maybe these two dudes get 60 or 50, but we're not going to let like these other guys get us. And then when you just look around, it's like, Joe Harris is probably going to hit an open shot. So there's really nowhere you can leave to put out out those fires.
1: There's very little you can do um, with them on the defensive end other than I would imagine you're just going to commit to switching it. Because again, if you're going to, you're going to allocate those two players. You're playing four on three behind it, and you have two of the best players on the planet it, Who, no matter who is in that pick and roll, right? Like you're leaving James Harden and Kevin Durant, or you're leaving Kevin Durant and Kyrie, or you're leaving Kyrie and James Harden. It's just it, you don't want to eat any of those guys playing four on three with capable shooters like, like uh, Joe Harris as, as the other player and maybe Jeff Green. Um, so I imagine you switch and you try to keep the ball in front of you. You know, you try to keep them off the foul line, but they're so gifted. I actually think, like, as I really thought about it, these aren't great answers because there isn't one. But I think you might try to hurt their defense with your offense. Do you know what I mean? Interesting. Like, you just want to punish them if you can. You know, like, you have to start getting into their legs, and nobody's got the personnel to do this. And no one plays like this anymore. But you really want to try to grind them out, right? And I always found it fascinating that some people's answers to playing against us as the Suns in, in 06 and 07 was to outrun us. We're the best at it. You're yeah, not going right. to do that. Right. right? You're, not, you're not beating us. You can, you can buy into it. It's right up our alley, but you're not going to beat us like that. The teams that had success were, were, were committed to running selectively, like not just getting into like a free-flowing, to your point, like a highest level of pickup game and really executing some sets, making us play the de- defense um, and trying to get into our legs and then trying to really beat us up on the offensive glass. And that's where they are kind of susceptible is if you're not allowing them to get out. Like you're, you're, you're gonna make them stay anchored into the pain and box out, even though that's like a lost art form. Yeah. Right? I saw
0: Lou Williams grab an offensive rebound over Durant and like a couple other guys. And it's like, that's not something that they're thinking about. The, the, the legs thing is really interesting because I think people, I sometimes think of offensive defense and defense t- as discrete actions, like in a football game, but it's in fact like the same guys are playing out there. So if you can get Harden or Durant in the post and just maybe like have to have like, Five more possessions per game where that guy is getting physical contact and he's like, oh, God, I got to do this again or whatever. Like, I would imagine that would make a big difference. For if you're playing defense, there's only, I think, only the Warriors from 17 or whatever are really c- comparable to the Nets right now. But if you're playing defense against a team, I imagine it's a lot like the American dream. It's like you think if you work hard and do the right things, <laughs> success will come, you nah. know, eventually. <laughs> and this is, this really undoes any ideas you would have about the American dream because, the shot making is on such another level. Like there were so many times when I was watching this, that Clippers game where I was like, "Kyrie just did a spin move step back three pointer." Like you, you could literally be sewn into his jersey; it wouldn't have matter. Uh, look, I would argue that that
1: that play he shook free for a split second, but a lot of those shots were well defended. And I found myself; my wife was sitting next to me, like she wasn't watching the game; she was watching her phone. But I said to her, "I was like, hey, Cindy, look at this real quick." And I rewound. I was like, "Look at that." And even she was like, Jesus, and I was like, Yeah, that's and there's nothing that I can do about that. Not there's nothing. Like there were times with Kobe and you know with greats uh, offensively, you know, Melo and LeBron, and I'd even throw Manu and Ray Allen in in the mix, like where they did things. um, Certainly Allen Iverson, where it didn't matter what you did, good O beats good D, and you'll hear that like in NBA like pickup games and stuff. It beats it all the time. Like there's nothing more that I can do. You're just a shot maker. Um, and I wound up saying to my wife, like, because a lot of guys try to teach that. A lot of these guys working with kids out here tell you they can teach you, though. You can't teach that shit. You right. can't teach that. That is, that is, you know, a one of one type of shot making ability, you know?
0: And unfortunately for everybody else, it's one of three because the three yeah. of them might be able to do it, right? Right. Um, how does it change? How does it change like the tenor of a team when you're playing a team like that to the extent there have been teams like that? does everybody's sort of expectations about what their defensive responsibilities change? Like, are you, is there, it's because you must have like a different grading scale if you're defending a guy like Durant or Kyrie or Harden versus like if you're just taking on a guy who averages like 12, 11 points a game and you're trying not to let him beat you. Like when you go back to the bench and Kyrie does something like that, is everybody just like, what are you going to do? Or is there is there like somebody trying to sketch out like, well, you can do this, try that, do this. No, I think you come in with, you
1: know, they're, they're the advanced scouts now, and with all of the access you have to, to player breakdowns, I, you're going to get that information pregame. Um, but regular season, probably not so much because it's moving so fast that you can't really deep dive every team because you're on to the next, like the next night, literally. So you can't really deep dive a guy. You don't have the time to do that. You're going to get a brief, you know, scouting report on what someone likes to do. Um, but I think most coaches understand, at least the good ones, that there isn't anything you can do with that. Now you're gonna try your best. Um, and we wanna be principled in whatever our you know strategy or game plan is. And if you're not doing that, then someone should have some feedback for you, right? Like, look, <laughs> you missed you missed this assignment. Like you were supposed to roll over, you know, and catch him yeah. at the rim. And those assi- assignments can be missed, but just pure, hey man, I need you to stop that guy. It's 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 a lonely feeling sometimes. And and coaches understand, like no one can Larry Brown said to me once, I hadn't played much. We were playing um Orlando Magic. It was probably 2002, noon game. And he comes up to me and he says, hey, um, I, I'm going to need you to guard T-Mac. And I was like, okay. I mean, never mind. He's like four inches taller than me and I haven't played in like three months, but that's fine. And he starts going into his breakdown of like, hey, all right, here's what you... And he said, you know what? Nobody can guard him anyway, so just do your best.
0: <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's about right. I'm just going to do my best. Larry Brown, defensive guru. He's yeah. just like, just do your best. Just do your best. Um, of these guys of these three dudes who would you most like a shot at defending and who would you least like a shot at defending
1: oh it's an impossible question there I Um, I I guess that like for me Kevin Durant might be I think I might have the most success against Kevin Durant and I I would not have success against Kevin Durant I'm just saying like watching them play because he's not the shiftiness is what I had a problem with like the the way that Kyrie and James Harden are always kind of toying with you making you wonder when you're going to go and when you're when you're not going to go you can't really get close enough to them to really you know touch um i think because of Katie's length it would be a, it would be like I'd have more success because I could get closer, but then again, he'd shoot over me, so it wouldn't really matter. But I think I'd have more success, maybe. That's gonna that's sound, it's gonna come off so bad if that's a viral clip. It's gonna <laughs> it's come off not, so bad. But it's it's just I don't know. I don't know who you I, you'd I pick. promise
0: I won't do that yeah. to you. <laughs> I don't know who you <laughs> 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 Who would you least want?
1: Yeah, Kyrie. I don't
0: want any parts of Kyrie. I don't want any parts yeah. of Because right. it's just like you're on skates. Yeah, it's gonna there. make you look stupid. Oh, let's t- let's flip it a little bit now. So we've talked about how hard it would be for to defend these guys. Everything that I know about basketball tells me that like even if you are it if you even if you don't have a top 5 ranked or even top 8 9 ranked defense most of the teams that have won championships or even gone to the finals in the years past have at least come from a team that was rooted in a top 5 defense. Like maybe they have let their regular season defense slide a little bit and there's some switch flipping going, but they at least have the fundamentals to do that. I I don't I do not see the Nets ever approaching that. Will this test this idea that defense wins championships or that defense is the like passport you need to even get that deep into the playoffs? Absolutely.
1: This is going to be, this will be a complete, if they're able to do that with what is it, the 24th, 25th, last time I looked, it was like 25th ranked defense in the league. Um, If they're able to get to the finals and win a finals, it's going to fly in the face of everything everyone's ever preached because, I mean, you can go back and look at that. Most most teams that are winning finals are top five in one or the other, offense or defense. And 100%, like tried and true without fail, top 10 in the other. And so you're talking about a balanced basketball team. This is, this is just, this is just the opposite. This is completely on one end of the spectrum offensively. And we've said on the other end of the spectrum, we're good. We're just going to outscore you. So yeah, if they, if they should get there um, off of pure offensive brilliance, um, it will. It will, it will definitely test that. Now, here's the deal. I actually saw the other night that 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 Clippers game you were talking about. Mm-hmm. They defended. Like, they did. There were multiple possessions where I saw Kyrie engaged. I saw James Harden engaged. making. Derek multi-
0: gave Kawhi some problems.
1: Gave yeah. him problems. Like, multiple yeah. efforts is what I'm looking for. So, like, not just on the ball or in the gap. or But, like, when that breaks down, are we making another effort to get back into play and, and contain a guy on a closeout? Like, they, those are seeds of, of solid defense. The question is whether they can, like, build on it and, and sustain it.
0: In the same way that the three of them are an unsolvable problem on offense, is having the three of them out there an unsolvable problem on defense? Because it really doesn't matter if they try to trade Joe Harris for like a defensive, a hard nosed defensive wing who can take the best player on the other team every time down the court, because like that's still not going to solve enough problems deep, in, deep into the playoffs. Like, would you agree with that? Or do you think that they are a player or two away from being a really, a, 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 at least a serviceable defense? I watched them, and in fairness to them, because
1: I've been real critical of their defense, that particular game, I thought they were really solid defensively. Like, the Clippers are no slouch. We've got Kyrie and Paul George and, you know, guys that are making plays. Um, And I thought they were pretty good. The question is whether that's sustainable and whether guys are going to buy into doing that night in and night out, or that's just going to be, like, a big game thing. So, I've been on record as saying, I, I think with two of those guys, just two of them, the brilliance of their offense, if you surrounded them with really complimentary three and D type of players, um, bigs and wings, you'd be fine. But if you're telling me you're going to keep those three and and you could flip another one of your pieces to get some complimentary three and D type of pieces, I think that gives you a better chance. Now, Joe Harris is not a bad defender. Like He's, he's serviceable. I, I don't think his calling card is ever going to be his D, but he's not the problem defensively. I, I do think, that when push comes to shove and you have to get stops that's not something that's easily turned on and off that's something that you you build up to now lebron was the one player that i've been around who's able to flip the switch like i watched him do it i watched the cleveland team that i was in the front office with do it up close and personal but it wasn't a flip of a switch in a single game he flipped the switch when the playoffs started so by the time you got to like the eastern conference finals and the and the and the the Golden State series, even though we were undermanned, they had been like building up to this crescendo. You don't just flip that in a in a game or in a series. You have to. That's got to be like your your in your DNA to the point you made earlier.
0: Did those Cleveland teams also have like a, a defensive system that like just needed the energy put into it? Like, was it a matter of effort or was it a matter of like developing like how they were going to defend? Because I'm curious. Like it, one of the one of the things I saw kind of falling apart with Brooklyn and you know to to be fair like they I thought they they played really well in that game on and at times on both sides of the court but there were a lot of miscommunications and there was a lot of times where I was like I don't actually know if Harden and Kyrie know which what the other person is supposed to be doing in this right. situation <laughs> right
1: well um it's like anything if you never so in Cleveland I I watched Ty Lue David Blatt um go over assignments like and almost you know, in a shell capacity where you're just walking through the movements of your defensive assignments over and over again to script it. Now, it's not at full speed, but this is just the dance that we're going to do. Like, so your, your muscle memory kicks in and you know, when you double um, down on the post, because at the time there were still post players, like when you double <laughs> down on the post, um, this is where you're going to get spit out on the opposite side because you've done it a thousand times. So you know where to go. You don't have to think about that, which causes confusion. And then it's too late to get to the shot. Um, but what, what happened, what has to happen after that is you have to take that scripted stuff and you have to put it in a full speed, um, full commitment, full energy practice. Um, and that comes in the games cause you can't simulate games and practice. So that's why I say it's hard to flip the script. And what you what you saw with Kyrie, what you're saying to me, um, n- not really seeing it with my own eye, but it speaks to like guys that normally aren't as engaged defensively. And so when they try to be super engaged defensively, they fry out. From time to time, right? They get it right sometimes, and then other times they they fry out because, like, you just haven't had that commitment to like playing that side of the ball as consistently as you need to. They can, and and I would imagine they'd be really serviceable defensively, but they have to really make a commitment to that.
0: Yeah, I was curious on a macro level. You know, we've seen we've experienced basically a complete like revolution of the game in the last like seven years, say where, you know, it's not, it's not weird to watch the Nets and see Joe Harris, Jeff Green, Durant, Kyrie, and Harden out there as a lineup, which, you know, as we've been referring to, like, these past teams, you're just like, that would be completely foreign to somebody watching basketball in 2002. Do you think that NBA defenses have caught up with the f- tactical revolution of their offenses? Or are we kind of like in a college football spread offense and, like, there's only so much a defense can do to stop what's happening here?
1: Yeah, that's exactly where we are. I mean, what I think the answer that most guys had, um, at least I saw it early with the analytics, like with the pick and roll coverage, right? Like when we came up, pick and roll coverage for most of those guys um, was to get out and there was a hard hedge, you know what I mean? And then, you know, you were supposed to get over and then get under and then the big would, you know, low big would touch the rolling big until his big could get back where you'd switch. You know, you just pick up the big rolling high. So analytically, they said, "Hey, that's not. that's we want these guys to shoot too. So let's drop the big, right? And then we'll co- and we'll co- what we called cover the turn. So I'm going to get over the screen as the as the on ball defender. You're going to keep dropping back as a big, and we're going to force the offensive player into this little space around the three point line.
0: Tibbs, right? Like, is that kind of the, the yeah, Tibbs idea? Yeah, we're gonna yeah. Shoot,
1: we're going to get you to shoot this mid range too, which most right. people don't want to do, right? So defensively, I started seeing it trying to catch up. Um, but And then switching became like, we're going to switch everything was the new answer to some of this. We're just going to switch it all, right? But offense is, is way ahead of defense. It's just way ahead of it. Like, there's nothing. You asked me the question. That's why I'm on today. Like, what are you going to do with Brooklyn? There's no answer for that. Like, when guys are that <laughs> gifted with the ball and they're not going to put you in predictable actions that you can game plan for and you're just saying, hey, man, you got to be good enough to guard that guy. Well, if the rules are what they are, where you're not going to be able to really get up and touch a guy. And, you know, we used to be able to... I don't mean to sound like an old curmudgeon. I'm not complaining about it, but it gave you an opportunity to kind of be physical with a guy at times. Yeah. That's that stripped away too. So offense is going to be almost impossible to guard if it's just the best players on the ball in space.
0: And yeah, and also like occupying like the four corners of a court where you can't really ever like bunch together. I, I fear that the fact that you've just told me that there is no answer for this question ruins this podcast. The answer on the (laughs) Ringer NBA show. Roger, thank you so much for joining me today, man. I feel like I learned a lot.
2: Thanks for having me. Take care. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy.
1: Just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to visible at visible.com and use promo code Ringer20 for data management practices and additional terms.
0: Visit visible.com. The visible monthly rate is $25 per month. All right, now I'm joined by Kevin O'Connor, my defensive coordinator. What's going on, <laughs> Kevin? How are you doing? I'm doing great, Chris. How about you? Good. You can hear Kevin, obviously, on the mismatch, and you can also hear him on the newest Ringer NBA show. We have Ringer NBA University, which is a really, really awesome show with Kev, Charks, and Kyle Mann, and sometimes special guests, and they discuss prospects coming into the league, prospects who are in their first couple of years in the league. And Kevin, the reason why I wanted to have you on today is I wanted to talk a little bit about defense. But rather than talking about like any particular player and how they're doing, how they're playing defense. I wanted to ask you first, how do you watch defense? Because this is <laughs> something that I have been kind of grappling with this season. I had made it a personal project that I was going to try and pay more attention to that side of the ball. Now, it gets pretty distracting when you're watching the Nets and you and you find yourself just being dazzled. But I, I made a commitment to myself to defense. I wanted to get better at watching it. And I quickly realized I have no idea how to do this. So can you help me? Can you be my Sherpa? <laughs> I'll I'll try, Chris. But I do think there's a good reason
3: why a lot of coaches after games say, I haven't watched the film yet. Right. Got to watch the film. Because it's hard to watch
0: defense. <laughs> so that's that's a good place to start. I think when most people are watching basketball, they're watching the ball. Now, especially in 2021, most people are looking at their phone and they're also looking at maybe <laughs> how much more time this food has to be on the stove. And then they're also watching the game. And then they run out of the room and that like c- commercial comes on for the 45th time that night. But I'm trying to train my eye to get off the ball a little bit, both to watch movement on offense, but to also see what kind of awareness people seem to have on defense. For you, are you able to process defensive performance in real time? Or is it something like coaches you have to go back and watch tape on? It depends on if I'm focusing on it. I
3: mean, I find that, you know, when it comes to watching a game with defense, it's usually something that you got to go back and watch again, Uh, especially if it's a live game you're trying to, you know, be, you know, an NBA Twitter about and have a conversation about. You're not watching like, you know, Julius Randle's off-ball help defense. You know, you're not necessarily keeping your eye on him. And I feel like a lot of defense, at least for me, a lot of it is that, you know, conscious uh, focus on a particular player and spotlighting them, essentially keeping your eyes on them. And, and that way, you know, okay, what is this action that they have to react to? Is their is there man about to run through, you know, a pin down screen? And how do they react to that? Oh, there's a pick and roll at the top of the key. What is their responsibility in this situation? And, you know, there's certain instances where watching in the, within the flow of the game, it's easy to see, oh, that guy made a mistake. But, you know, there was a play that you know I detailed in my Mavericks article uh, earlier this week on the Ringer, and it was you know about the Mavs and how Luca made this kickout pass to Dorian Finney-Smith and he missed it. It was a wide open look, and you know if I had watched that game live, it's a type of thing where Devin Booker was in a help defense position, and Devin Booker is his responsibility is come down and help on the Luka drive, and he's he was a beat late getting back to Dorian Finney-Smith to contest the three. And you watch the play live, it's like, oh, Booker was a little late. But then you watch it again, you see, oh my, Luca just faked him out. It was an unbelievable play that caused that. Luca kept his eyes on the rim. The way he went up into his motion for a layup, it looked like he was about to go for a layup. So naturally Booker would be there ready to, you know, be in his way and disturb him and said it was an accurate kick out to Dorian Finney Smith, which he missed. But point being is that sometimes like with defense, you get to slow things down or watch it again to really see what the player was processing in those you know, microseconds as the game's happening at full speed.
0: Right. There are guys like Matisse Theibel who make highlight-worthy defensive plays. But then there's the 99% of other defense, which is really, when you're watching it, I feel like you're really just assigning blame. You're trying to figure <laughs> out what, what went wrong. And I, yeah. I talked to Raja a little bit about this in regards to the Nets, where it does feel like Shot making in the league right now is at this near like Hendrix level kind of creativity oh, yeah. that it's hard to really be how it, it, you know you don't want to blame guys for being like you played that pretty right and this guy still made a, a f- fadeaway jumper off his left foot falling away you know like what are you what, what are you going to do to stop that for you when you're watching defense is it about like how do you grade people? and grade their level of responsibility for that final thing that results in a bucket.
3: I mean, I think you nailed it, Chris. We're at like a Hendrix level in terms of shot creation ability. Like that Nets game.
0: Admittedly, that was KOCB. I was just like throwing that out there
3: on the water for you. I I had a Hendrix (laughs) night last night. I haven't had one in a while where I just listened to like an hour and a half straight of live Hendrix, And it was like watching that fourth quarter of KD, Kyrie, and Harden just taking turns. You know, they're just doing something brilliant on the court. And a lot of the times with defense, like there's only so much you can do that you, you can't do anything about those level of players unless you send a double or a triple team at them. And that then that causes a whole other set of issues for the defense. So, you know, when it comes to like assigning blame or 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 credit, so much of it is circumstantial, so much of it it depends on situation and like, what quarter is it? What what is the offense trying to do? And and also I think, you know, for me, like the easiest thing to see is effort. That's the easiest thing also for a player to control as well. And I feel like oftentimes for defense, and this is, you know, true in the NBA, it's definitely true in the NFL, you know, where it's hard to always know scheme and situation. NBA teams are more consistent with what they do. But, you know, if a player makes a mistake, it might not be a mistake with what he was told to do in in the meeting with his coaches, you know, hours before the game or the day before the game. And like that that's really on the coach is not the player. So it's very difficult with defense. And this is, you know, true with stats. Now, I think it speaks to the limitations of defensive data that we have. I talk to people, you know, in the league and they have all the, you know, the second spectrum tracking data, camera numbers, the raw data, and they're able to create their own numbers from it. But even then they have a hard time finding deep, you know, meaningful defensive insights. And so, I think a lot of it comes down to uh, you know a deep understanding of knowing what the coaches want from the player, which we don't always know, and then how the player executes that in the moment. Um, but ultimately, I, I, when it comes down to blame or credit, effort is number one in terms of like that's what it, that's what empowers and activates you know everything else. Is if you're putting an effort and focus.
0: So when you look at some of the best defenses in the league right now by defensive rating, there's a team with Anthony Davis. There's a team with Joel Embiid. There's a team with Rudy Gobert. They seem to have figured something out, which is having an elite big, an elite defensive big on your team helps. Then there are guys, there are teams like Houston and Memphis, who I think are examples of what you're talking about in terms of effort, right? Like, I I don't really understand how Houston can go from being, I think they they had their moments defensively at various points under D'Antoni, But this turnaround that they've had since they kind of righted the ship and got guys back from COVID and various other injuries in Houston, and Steven Salas was like the offense guy in Dallas, I thought, but they have instilled, obviously, a defensive intensity among this group that is essentially powering them to 500 and likely beyond, right? it's it's all built
3: on that. And I think that's, you know, exemplified most on their team. You know, we know the P.J. Tuckers. We know that name. We, we know John Wall and Victor Oladipo. But a guy like Jayshon Tate, who a year ago is playing for the Sydney Kings, <laughs> an undrafted player. And the effort he puts in, he is a guy playing like he has something to prove. He is fighting to stay in the NBA and prove himself and get a long-term contract that changes the rest of his life and, you know, his family's life. Everybody on that team is playing with that same attitude that Jay Sean Tate, the guy who was in Australia last year, is playing with now. And, and I think it's that level of buy-in and, and, and you know, camaraderie that players have with each other that all feeds into that effort. And you know, with Houston, we'll see if they can sustain this, but I do think it is noteworthy, though. They were a top 10 defense before the Harden trade, even during all the drama. They still had a good defense. Yeah. It's just they've leveled it up even more with now this connectedness without the drama and everything that they're dealing with. And, you know, uh, I, I think a lot of that just comes down from just a, a will. It's a will to do it. We've seen these guys, we've seen Eric Gordon have some poor stretches on defense sure. in the past, sure. but this season he's
0: locking in. And that's because of his own choice to put in that level of effort. Do you think this kind of is a ringer NBA University question? Do you think? inside of every player, there is a good defender waiting to be discovered? mm, That's a good question. Uh, (laughs) Is it something that you can coach and teach, or is it something that is... I guess this is a nature versus nurture question. Are there guys, obviously, like, Theibel, to me, plays defense the way, um, you know, Jason Kidd can pass. Like, Theibel can obviously kind of see. Rondo, obviously, when he is engaged... Essentially, knows what an offense is going to do before they're going to do it. And we've talked before about like you can hear Rondo calling out plays from the sideline, like when Rondo is at his best. But like, can you, can, why why is, why can no one seemingly who wears a Minnesota Timberwolves uniform play good defense? (laughs) I I
3: think it's, I think it's both. I mean, it's probably, you know, a cop out answer there, but it's really truly in life and in sports, nature and nurture. And it's, you know, you can be the highest effort player. Uh, but there could be two guys in the lineup that aren't focusing or didn't have who didn't pay attention in that film session and and pick up the little cue where they tell you that X player goes left 70 percent of the time. Be ready for that in this certain situation. Uh, it's about preparation. It's about effort. It's about focus. And it's about there's just your ability, your natural innate ability to read and process information that's happening at you know lightning quick speed on the court, and which is why I think. And we talk about it on offense, adjusting to the speed of the game, point guards changing pace uh, and pick and roll situations to get into the lane and create space for themselves. We talk about it with physicality scoring around the rim when it comes to, you know, facing a Rudy Gobert or an AD, as you talked about earlier with them having top defenses. But it's also true on defense, too, with like DeAndre Ayton. That was the number one concern for him coming out of Arizona as the number one pick. It's like, well... Can he survive on defense? He's slow to read the floor. He's not necessarily a guy that's, you know, picking up the intensity level of his teammates. And with him, it's been so interesting because he still has those spurts, you know, on the court where he does fade. But he's gotten way, way, way better at raising the level of his teammates and focusing and, and staying engaged and hustling. And is that him being in the right situation with Monty Williams and Phoenix,
0: and having the right supporting cast—is it Chris is it, Paul? Is it Chris Paul? Yeah, lighting a fire on him—is it Mikhail Bridges being in a, like an incredible wing defender and making his life a little bit easier? You know, like I think that the the thing that's cool about thinking about defense is all the bullshit that coaches say actually sometimes is true. Where it's like these this idea that it's a these links in a chain, and you could have an incredible defensive stopper, but if two other guys aren't playing hard or if two other guys are thinking about, like, getting into transition and leaking instead of, like, making sure they've got their guys, it doesn't really work. And I wonder whether or not, you know, I think that those Timberwolves teams, not to harp on them, but, like, that was a really interesting... You see Thibodeau has the Knicks in as a top-10 defense right now. I, I think, arguably, he had more talent on that Wolves team, certainly with Jimmy Butler. And those guys did play well, but when you watch, like... This D'Lo Cat version of the Timberwolves right now, I don't know who there like who there is like helping them improve the way like DeAndre Ayton is being helped to improve on the Suns. I'm not
3: sure they have that, but then again, you could say that Cat had KG mm-hmm. at one point in Minnesota. He had Tibbs and with, with he had Jimmy Carla, Butler, yeah, right, yeah, and Jimmy Butler and all these guys that feel like perfect mentors for a player who to take on that attitude, you know, and you know, install it. With themselves and with Cat, it's the type of thing where he was, when he came out of college, people thought he's going to be a lockdown defender with questions on offense. (laughs) And it's been the total opposite where he is a brilliant offensive scorer for a center, one of the best shooters in the league, period, regardless of position and defense. It's it's a major question mark. And with him, I still think, I still think there's a chance Carl anthony Towns can pan out and be a very good defensive player with his mobility and size it really might be a matter of having the right supporting cast around him at the right moment in his career when he's ready you know a, in terms of a mental standpoint to process all that information and from a physical and conditioning standpoint to be able to withstand a heavy offensive load and anchor a defense could be the right system too for that matter and I, what they have right now in minnesota just feels like a really you know iffy mix which is a shame because all those names on paper Carl Anthony Towns, D'Angelo Russell—I think Anthony Culver Edwards.
0: projected Culver. as a good defender, right? Yeah, Culver too. Yeah, Culver too. Yeah. Um, give me so give me one team that you think I should be watching from this prism through this prism of like a, as a good defensive team, like who's like must see TV but on defense, Cleveland. Uh, I think
3: Cleveland's got a roster full of just guys like Houston just play really, really, really hard. Larry Nance, I think, I believe he's still leading the league in steals right now. So active on the ball, off the ball. You can constantly, like if you, it's like we talked about at the top. If you spotlight Larry Nance, you constantly see him being aware of what's happening around him. And when it comes to like scouting the draft and I'm like really going deep on a guy, that's what I do is like, what is this guy looking at in this situation? You know, do you take note of the, what play the the offense is running and you know what they're doing? Well, what is the defender seeing in the situation? And if it's a complex action and they screw it up, that can be, you know, a, an issue for his NBA, you know, hopes considering they're going to be facing a lot of those types of actions. Yeah. And with Larry Nance, you know, he has grown into, you know, a guy who is you know, a center when he entered the league. is this versatile, switchable wing defender, which is due to work ethic off the court, but also just, focus and effort on the court to overcome any, you know, limitations he might have physically after tearing his ACL in college.
0: Yeah, he seems to have really taken a leap this season. I was wondering whether or not you felt like, um, and I I talked with Raja a little bit about this, but I was curious to get your thoughts on it. The way that NBA offenses are essentially, at any given point, can, like, play a big off of the court. We saw that with Abaka in the um, Clippers-Nets game. And that was unique, but it was still, like, notable that Abaca was, like, Unplayable down the stretch because they were running Jeff Green out there at center.
3: Should they have gone back to Ibaka? Did he? Did Raja? I, I think if they,
0: if they get another shot at that, I would be curious to see what Tyloo did. Yeah. But do you think that part of like the issues facing certain teams' defenses is the fact that these offenses are so progressive in a lot of ways that they are you you do have four wings out there shooting early in the shot clock at this at the drop of a hat, whereas like maybe. These guys were like, I'm used to inside outside play. And I'm used to like knowing that, like, I I would have to imagine. I mean, like, this has even been asked of Tibbs because his defenses were built to, you know, funnel guys. And like, what, how do you funnel a guy if there's not even that much driving going on? I, I think
3: when it comes to bigs, you know, with like the case of Ibaka, you need to, they need to at least be able to survive. On the perimeter, on an island, you, you, if you're on an isolation against Damian Lillard, you at least need, be, need to be able to stay in front of that guy and contain him and force him into a tougher shot. It's the type of thing where, you know, in the playoffs, you're switching so many screens and tough games, close games, you're switching so many screens. You're inevitably going to have a big in that situation. We saw in a recent game between the Suns and the Mavericks, again, to mention DeAndre Ayton, there were four or five instances throughout the game that he defended Luka one-on-one. And he did a really, really good job just making it tough on Luca. You know, there were a couple instances Luca scored, but he made it really tough on him. And I think when it comes to playing a big off the court or not, it's those guys that have the ability to at least survive where the pros of them offering size and rebounding and rim protection and help defense around the rim all outweighs any potential negatives. And, you know, it's sort of as like, remember years ago with the Jazz and Warriors when Rudy Gobert was coming off the injury? And he got played off the court and or, or struggled, and that kind of hurt his reputation. But he's coming off an injury. I think he's also had a lot of great instances in those same scenarios where he's def- where he's defending like a shot making guard or wing, and he's done a serviceable job, which is all you can ask for from a big uh, in that type of situation. So I, I think
0: it's really about just meeting that minimum level of being able to survive on a switch. You know, you talked a little bit about some of the proprietary data that these teams have based on second, stru- second spectrum uh, numbers. And I was wondering whether or not there was a particular metric you, when you're doing your writing, look at to kind of evaluate where a guy is defensively.
3: I'll occasionally pull up box plus minus or, you know, the RPMs and those single number stats just to get a feel for what those data points are saying. But I mean, I, I'll be honest with you, Chris. Like ultimately... I haven't found a ton of value in defensive data. I mean, I know earlier in the season, like the new 538 stat, Isaac Okoro with the Cavs was ranked near the bottom of the league, and their defensive stats. A small sample, so it's forgivable. But it's like there's certain little outliers like that where it's like I have, and this is through conversations with people in the league too, where they're like, "Well, there's something missing in the data that it can't read." You know, if it's having these guys ranked way higher than they should be or way lower than they should be, and I feel like with defense, so much of it needs to be. The the context is so significant with what happens on the court on the defensive end that I wonder if there's a way to have like a more process-oriented data point on defense.
0: Well, this is what I was going to throw at you: is I I I wonder whether this already exists in some some secret computer, you know, in Bob Myers' office or something, or Daryl Morey's, or Daryl (laughs) Morey's office. But is there a strength of assignment metric? where you're essentially judging a guy's performance based on the level of player that he takes on. Do you know what I mean? Like, like essentially, if you're asking a guy to go guard Durant or go guard Damian Lillard or Paul George every night or somebody, like, that's going to be a tough assignment. Like, you're going to see a lot, he's going to see a lot of the ball, and you're going to hope to get out of there without too much bleeding. Whereas, like, if you're somebody and you're just essentially guarding, like, Devontae Graham all night like you may have a good night or a bad night but like that's certainly not going to stre- be as much of a stressor as it would be if you're guarding like an all NBA offensive player definitely I mean that 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 is one stat I do find useful because it is
3: process oriented because you're thinking about oh, who are they defending who is yeah. the defense asking them to defend and is there a way that- to
0: tell that do they say yeah. like yeah okay
3: so so bballindex.com has a great stat that I've used in a handful of stuff we've done at the ringer, and they, you know, derive that stat from the, the NBA.com, NBA advanced stats, tracking data, matchup data. And so they're able to create like a aggregate data point of which players are defending all stars most often or all NBA players most often or high usage players, you know, like a, a Russell Westbrook, a Chris Paul, guys who have the ball in their hands a lot. They're able to put that together. And, you know, it's guys like Ben Simmons who rank near the top of the league. It's guys like Mikel Bridges, who you mentioned earlier. It's even someone like Evan Fournier Interesting. <laughs> for the Orlando Magic. And it shows like that doesn't mean that he's a great defender. It just means he's being asked to defend those players a lot, which probably speaks to some of Orlando's issues this
0: season. They're <laughs> not very good. <laughs> Kev, is there anybody who you fear is. Moving into the hardened zone, where their defensive lapses are going to make them viral. I mean, Zion recently, even though this
3: most recent game last night or Wednesday night, he was quite good defensively yeah. in, in comparison. And, to and Ingram, Pat, yeah. yeah, both both of them they really locked in. And there's been those, you know, reports coming out of you know uh, the Pelicans post game press conferences and everything. Van Gunny saying he's talking to these guys all the time. He's having meetings with Ingram and, and Williamson, and that's. Like the other factor there is the, what coaching are you receiving? You, like you said, nature versus nurture, they're in a situation where they're being held accountable sure. and being told, Zion, if you're not defending, you're not going to finish games. You got to play hard to finish games. And we're seeing that. But ultimately, like I, before Wednesday night, I would have said, Zion, no question asked. Um, Cause he seemed like he was going to have at least one of those moments where it's like, really? You're not contesting that shot? And he's already had a couple of them. It's just too early in the season for those moments to be big enough to go viral. But um, Zion is a guy who comes to mind, but he's getting better. And Good. we'll see if it continues. Last question. Is Harden out of the Harden zone? 100%. Yes. He's yeah, the, the best, best post defender in the league, right, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> you see that possession versus Kawhi? Yes. <laughs> that was amazing. Kawhi <laughs> um, was blowing through everybody, and then uh, Harden just brick walls He's him. got the lowest center of gravity. I'll give him that.
0: <laughs> Kevin, thank you so much for joining me then. Thank you so much, Chris.